One function of scripture is to tear down our idols, our premeditated perception of God, or those things we submit to in place of God. This frees us so that we can worship the true God. Scripture does this in various ways. The Old Testament, for example, proclaims an unseen God compared to the gods who exist as visible idols. This breaks our attachment to the gods we create in our minds and the ones we submit to in place of the Almighty. It also proclaims a God who willingly destroys his own temple, freeing us of the notion that God lives at a specific place during a particular time of history and is a God for a particular ethnic group. And finally, it proclaims a God who mocks us for using traditional forms of worship, such as sacrifice and incense, in order to force us to see the good in others and love our neighbor. The New Testament continues this tradition. There we see how the Gospel usurps the Roman household, which has the paterfamilias, or Caesar, as its head, and uses this societal structure. But instead of Caesar being at the top, Jesus is. This causes us to question who is really in control, earthly powers or Christ? Now this may sound all fine and good, but does scripture still function this way for us today? I say yes, a resounding yes. The bottom line, many of the qualities we value as Americans are usurped by the gospel and given a fuller meaning that can only be found through the gospel. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Father Dustin. This past Sunday was the second Sunday of Matthew. As you know, the four Gospels are spread out over the different parts of the church year. During the Paschal, or Easter season, we read through John. Then, after Pentecost, we start reading through Matthew. Then, in the fall, we jump to Luke. On the second Sunday of Matthew, we hear about the calling of Peter and Andrew, as well as the calling of James and John. Here's that reading from Matthew 4, 18-22. And walking beside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he says to them, Come, follow me, and I shall make you fishers of men. And immediately, abandoning the nets, they followed him. And going on from there, he saw another pair of brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, mending nets in the boat with their father Zebedee. And he summoned them. And immediately, abandoning the boat and their father, they followed him. There's a lot of fascinating things about this passage. But what I found most fascinating is that this year, this reading fell on American Independence Day. I think this is fascinating because there are three themes in this passage that I think are also themes we celebrate as Americans on the 4th of July. So let's take a look at them one by one. The first one, 
our freedom as Americans. As Americans, we celebrate the 4th of July as a day of freedom. We gained our independence from England, we overthrew the tyranny of the king, and developed a democracy, giving everyone a say in our governing system, or at least theoretically. This idea of freedom is an important concept for us, so much so that the American government has spent a lot of time and resources promoting democracy around the world, for better or worse. We see our way of life as superior, and we believe we have an obligation to the rest of the world. Within our own borders, we spend a lot of time and effort in our society ensuring that our freedoms extend to every aspect of our lives, from the freedom to carry guns, to the freedom to marry whom we want, to the freedom for all peoples to vote, to the freedom to say what we want in public, to freedom from systemic problems that oppress different races and classes of people. In short, as Americans, we worry a lot about freedom. I think we see the same theme in today's Gospel reading. Jesus' call to the disciples is, in reality, a call to freedom. But it isn't freedom as we think about it as Americans. They're called away from the tyranny of sin and death and towards the freedom that only Christ can give. This is why the word for salvation can also be translated as redemption. We've been redeemed or freed from slavery and tyranny to this world. But unlike our American freedom, this freedom doesn't free us to follow the American dream and do as we wish. Instead, this freedom calls us closer to God in order to receive eternal life, and this is done by seeing Christ in others, or to put it another way, by serving one another. Here's how St. Paul puts it. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. That's Galatians 5, 13-15. Our freedom in Christ is something much more precious than our freedom as Americans. It's a freedom that calls us to something bigger than ourselves and our own wants and desires including our capitalist tendencies to get ahead. For this, we ought to give thanks to God. Number two, America is a melting pot that welcomes everyone. The second theme we celebrate as Americans on Independence Day is our immigrant history. Unless you have Native American blood, your history as an American is one of immigration. Now, I'm a ninth-generation American. My history here goes back to about 1690. I have no idea why that early ancestor left his homeland to come here, but it's a part of my past. His son and grandson, who were Virginians at the time, fought in the American Revolution, and later I had an ancestor fight in the Civil War. But even though my family has been a part of the American experiment since the very beginning, my family still immigrated here. Most immigrants come to America looking for a better life, whether it's economic opportunities, 
a better education, or sanctuary from an oppressive government back in the old country. Our immigrant identity means that we are a melting pot, and this is enshrined at the Statue of Liberty, which says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. In short, we welcome everyone from everywhere, no matter who you are or what your background is. But this idea of a melting pot is exactly the meaning of the gospel. Just think about our passage. There we notice that Peter is a Hebrew name, while Andrew is a Greek name. This shows that everyone, no matter your ethnic background, is called by the gospel. It's for everyone, everywhere. Christians are, in other words, immigrants. And, technically speaking, no one is born a Christian. You have to be baptized, that is, born again and brought into the faith. But once you've been reborn, your old identities are cast off for a much more important one, that of Christian. Again, we can turn to St. Paul for support. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Judean or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That is Galatians 3, 25-29. Now, we may still have to live out our lives as Judean or Greek, slave or free, or male and female, but it's not our primary ID. In fact, in the Gospel, even our identification as Americans is meaningless. The Gospel challenges our loyalties and replaces our citizenship in this world with one that's not of this world. Finally, the third theme. Our American freedom really isn't free. Our last theme reminds us that our freedom comes with a responsibility. We need folks to step up and protect our freedoms. We need folks who are willing to serve in the military, in the government, in our schools, and in other public service posts. We need people to give their lives, sometimes literally, to make our democracy work and to ensure our freedoms. This is so important to us that we not only celebrate this aspect of our American identity on the 4th of July, but also throughout the year, on Veterans Day, on Memorial Day, on Labor Day. And we also celebrate particular people who have stepped up to serve, such as presidents on President's Day or Martin Luther King Jr. on his day. We like to honor those who serve, and we encourage our children to imitate the example of these heroes of our country. In other words, we believe as Americans that we have a responsibility as citizens of this country, and this responsibility carries our ideals forward into the future. Well, this seems to be true of our Christianity as well. It also comes with a responsibility to be Christian, which is precisely why this podcast is called The Way. This title implies that we have to walk a particular way 
on a particular path shown to us by the Gospel. Notice this dynamic at work in the Gospel reading for this past Sunday. In that passage, the disciples were called to respond to Christ by following Him to be fishers of men. It wasn't a matter of belief or reciting a creed or even adhering to a particular dogmatic statement. They had to react to Jesus' voice. They had to get up in order to follow Him. And only when they got up to walk the way could they become fishers of men and be the great disciples we think of them as today. It's the same with us. We too are called to respond to Christ and follow Him. The church truly isn't the assembly, which is probably a better translation for the Greek word for church, if the people aren't willing to serve. Just as America needs people who serve, so too does the church. But as the gospel shows us, and as the martyrs have demonstrated for us, our responsibilities towards the kingdom of God are greater than our responsibility to Caesar or the governments we serve today. The biblical principle is that the earthly Caesar always enslaves us, but the gospel frees us to become who we were meant to be. Our fullness and completion is found only when we willingly take up our crosses and responsibilities as Christian. Here's how St. Paul puts it, this time from Corinthians. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 18-31. The more excellent way, of course, is love. But it's love for one another. This is our responsibility, to love one another and fulfill the roles that have been given to us, lest the church fail. As St. Paul said, we can't think we aren't important and not fulfill our roles, no matter how small. So, to sum up, as Americans, we hold the ideal of freedom the inclusive nature of our country, and our responsibility to serve as ideals for American citizenship. 
But these ideals are also found in the gospel, and they challenge our American ones. In light of the freedom that Christ gives us, are we truly free as Americans? Or is it a temporary freedom that is ultimately self-serving? In light of our rebirth as Christians, where is our true citizenship? Is it with America, or is it with the kingdom of God? And how do we determine who our brothers and sisters are? And finally, even though we strive to protect our earthly freedoms, I wonder, do we have a greater responsibility given to us by the gospel, a gospel that gives us life? I guess the only real difference between our celebration of our American ideals on Independence Day and our celebration of our Christian ideals given to us by the Gospels is the way we celebrate. As Americans, we celebrate July 4th with barbecues and fireworks. As Christians, we celebrate our freedom in the Gospel by praising and thanking and communing with God when we gather for church on Sundays. Until next time, keep giving thanks for the challenge of the gospel which leads us to eternal life. God bless.